This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the Coast and Country download from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country with me, Helen Mark. From this hilltop location in the Snowdonia mountain range, I can look down the valley to Blenai Festiniog, where the roof tiles of almost every building are of Welsh slate. But in that same view, the scars of the slate mining industry are all around. The savage hewn hillsides, there's the vast deposits of waste stone. Actually, 95% of quarried slate ended up as waste. The other 5% is said to have roofed the world. That was in the peak times of the industry in the 19th century. This entire region depended on slate. Tens of thousands of people worked in slate mining. Today, though, a mere... 350 people are directly employed in mining. And that leaves behind vacant quarries and caverns. So for this week's Open Country, I'm here to discover how some of those places, very special places, are being given a new purpose. I've come down to where all the action is at the moment, and and I'm with Sean Taylor, who is the co-owner of what's now known as Zip World and Bounce Below, but to give it its Welsh name, it was Sean Lechwich. Lechwev, Slate Caverns, in Blaine of Estiniog, heart of Sardonia. And you're going to lead me down into this new adventure which happens below ground, part of the regeneration of of a slate mine. Yeah, I'm going to take you on a personal tour. Because all the workings were underground for this place. All underground. And it is an example of how taking an abandoned place and giving it a new life is a really important part of the economy and the employment opportunity now in this part of the world. Sure. 30 years ago, they created this uh, as a, a deep deep mine tour and a, a train tour, and it was more cultural and it was historic, what was going on, which was great 30 years ago. However, that type of tourism has declined, and what we've got now is, I think the fastest-growing market now in tourism is the outdoor adventure tourism. So the owners made decision, they got in touch with ZipWorld, so we've created here now the largest above ground, the largest zip zone in the world, which is over eight kilometres of uh, wires. And then below ground, we have got, it's a world first, it's completely unique, it is some of the largest bouncy nets, trampolines in the world, which you're going to find out in a minute. It's such an amazing idea to put that underground. But just looking around us now, again, we have this sense of the abandoned slate mines, the waste everywhere, the buildings that were used... Yeah. It still carries the history of Slate, yeah. but you're just giving it a whole new spin. Sure. We're a living community. It's essential we keep our young people in the community for work. We have to have employment. We are now creating between both quarries and underground 140 sustainable jobs all year round, and we pay way above the minimum wage. 70% of our staff speak Welsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100% of them live within six miles of where they work. The entrance into the cavern is... Is this the way people would have gone into the caverns when they were working them, on the, on the train? Uh, yeah, they'd gone on the train, and before that you'd have had a train track, but just with carriages used to push. But they've, you literally find they've taken hundreds of thousands of slate. That slate has been, told, has been said that that roofed the whole world. The slate from Blind of Stinyog roofed the whole world at one time. 
So we're going to make our descent into the caverns, Sean, you and I, to have a look to the transformation of the place that was hewn by hand but is now a playground. It is a playground. We'd like to think it's a lot safer than it was before so uh, people don't fall to the deaths, they don't have slate dust in their noses. What we really want to see is people smiling faces and you'll see people's reactions when they come off the train and they see this magical place. into an open cavern do you know there's the vibrant light show that's going on but you can look across the cavern which is now strong with this great sheet of trampoline material and the ropes which hold it suspended above the gaping hole below it's like imagine a a giant spider had created a net doesn't it give you that sensation we're walking into that you're looking at something the size far larger than St Paul's Cathedral Uh, your top net to the bottom net is about 120 feet it's different heights different widths throughout the, the cavern uh, and then there's different walkways that lead from the cavern. But this cavern was created by man? All by man. There's hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of tonnes of slate that have been excavated from here and it's gone all over the world. Australia, America, roofing the world. And we are playing in the gap that's left. We are in the gap that's left, yep. Look at the shadows on the wall of the people who are bouncing. Isn't that fabulous? It's, it's like an artwork. Do you want to come okay. for a bounce? How can I resist? Oh, <laughs> Best off you've had today. Do you see, because everybody else is bouncing, you're being pinged up and down without any effort. How are we getting on? Yep, fine. Brilliant. You're starting to get your legs now. that you can have underground on the bouncing trampolines really you cannot escape from the story of slate in this welsh landscape and the best place to come and find out about that story is to come to the national slate museum which is set in Llanberis. we are below workings in the denorwig quarry and i've come here to meet david roberts who is the site manager here and just as i'm walking along um, there's a little yellow puffer train going in and out of one of the holdings here, David. Yes, there is. Good morning, Helen. Welcome to Amgedvalechi Cymru, the National Slate Museum. And we can see over here there's a loco about to appear from the loco shed. Uh, it's an ex-Dinorwy quarry steam locomotive and it's being to prepare to haul a tourist service down the passenger line later on this morning. Oh, look at that beautiful little red and black engine yeah, with yeah. its little funnel puffer. Oh, it's gorgeous. And both of those uh, are ex-Dinorwy quarry locomotives. They used to make a living hauling slate around the quarry and they're now hauling passengers. And they're, they're gorgeous, so aren't petite. they? They're petite. They're petite. They are. <laughs> but, you know, these aren't toys. These are working machines that had a very hard-working life in the quarry. But they're, you know, well over a century old and still running like the proverbial watch, I must say. <laughs> Just before we go into uh, the museum, I'm looking back at the landscape behind us, David. You see, everywhere you go, you have these bare faces that were once worked by human hand... It leaves you with bare slate faces and then ledges, that terraced effect, all the way up to the top of the, the, the hill behind us. That's right. Now, we're looking here in front of the museum at the Vivian Slate Quarry, which is a very, very small appendix of the main Dinorwy Quarry itself. This quarry was abandoned in the 1950s, and the terraces or ledges, galleries, we sometimes call them in English, they're about 50 or 60 feet high on average, and they step back into the mountain, and that's the way you got at the slate. 
and removed the overbird at the same time. And the fascinating thing about this is it's not been abandoned in a sense because it's still being used for various purposes. So later on in the day, we might as well see climbers coming up, climbing up those slopes. There's a flooded pit just out of sight here, and divers use that to practice in. So it's being used in various ways. It's an evolution, if you like, like what you saw at Lechwer at Bounce Below. It's an evolution of the use of a very old site. So we've still got the manual labour in the landscape, but I love the way in which the terraces, you know, trees and shrubs are trying to grow and what must be very thin soil left. Well, there's hardly any soil there, but, you know, nature does reassert itself. Nature does take over once again. There's a Welsh poem which talks about the efforts of puny man working the landscape in these quarrying areas. Now, you can see how puny man is. Nature's taking over once again here, despite all man's efforts. Before we go into the, the workshop museum area... When I look at these rock faces, I find them almost oppressive in some ways and sad. Well, yes, you could say that they're sad and you could say that they're oppressive. But to local people, these represented uh, economic reality for well over 200 years. So people in this area see them as part of the landscape and the waste tips are seen as part of that evolving landscape, if you like. They're a thing of beauty in the perception of some in this area. They're seen as part of, you know, a landscape which represented a monumental effort by man. And you could say that those tips and these workings are the monuments to their immense efforts over 200 years and more. Morning. Morning. How are you all today? Very well. <laughs> My name's Cameron, and I'm going to show you how we split and dress slates down to size, the old-fashioned way. I'll be starting with the splitting, and then I'll move over to the dressing of the slates. Right, that's the splitting. All the splitting is still done by hand in a modern quarry. No machines for doing that. Although they did try a couple of years ago at pending quarries, but they were all unsuccessful. Problem with machines is they can't see which way the grain is going or if there's any faults in them. Thank you very much. You're welcome, thank you. your family? Both of my grandfathers used to work in this one. Is that right? Yes, they did. Congratulations. So, Carowin Price is giving this demonstration of, first of all, splitting that rectangle of slate into finer and finer layers. You wedged it apart. It was, it's really quite a skill, Carolyn. Yes, definitely it is a skill, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes years of practice how to do it properly. Now you've seen the splitting. Now I'll be showing you now how we trim them down to size, and that's called a dressing pad. And you've set yourself almost like on a... Well, it's like a seesaw yes. static. You've got the slate, and you've got a very savage piece of blade work in front yeah, of you. a blade, and uh, I've got a dressing knife as well. Mm. I do the first two cuts with the knife, and then from those first two cuts, then I measure them. Okay. And then I do the final two cuts. Sliced off the edges, the chips are on the floor. Now what? Now, you take your measuring stick, and mm. then you do your measurements Gross noise. Oh, makes my teeth stand on edge. Right. 
And after you've done your measurements, you do your final two cuts with the knife. When I see you working with the slate, actually I see it as quite a fragile material, how easily it shatters. It can shatter quite easily, but it's quite soft material to work with as well, because we can do any shape we want out of slate. A lot of waste. Yes. But the whole industry created a lot of waste, didn't it? Yes, it did, yes. 90 to 95% from the rock face to the finished product actually went to waste. But they didn't have any uses for that waste in the old days. But nowadays they do have so much uses for that slate waste, mainly basin roads, motorways, landscaping, gardening. It's decorative stuff as well. The slate dust is actually used in other products such as cosmetics face powder, mascara, eyeshadows, hair gel, another use. Really? Yes. Slate dust? Slate dust, yes. Toothpaste. Yeah, you clean your teeth with it because it's hydrated silica. That's the ingredients in toothpaste. It's an amazing thought, isn't yeah, it? I know, I know. <laughs> it's not actual waste these days, is it? Because it's been used in other things. Just behind you, Davith, is... Well, it's through the window here, but there's... um. A board and it's got hooks on it. They're numbered and there are brass tabs on, on each hook. 942, 960, all the way down. Yes, it's, it's a tally board. And the men, as they came in for work in the morning, would have taken off their respective tally so they'd have had their own individual tally. Uh, so, you know, by 8 o'clock in the morning, all of these were due to have been taken off. So as the engineer came out, he'd see which tallies were here and he knew then who was late for work. <laughs> and could exact retribution. Um, Dinorway Quarry, at its heyday, between 1840 and 1910, employed getting on for 3,000 men. So, you know, it was a huge industrial concern. And you can see the same about the Pendering Quarry, it's Bethesda as well. And Llechwe, then, at Blenifestiniog, employed well over 1,000. Uh, Oakley, Blenifestiniog, employed getting on for 2,000. So, overall, in the late 19th century, you had about 17,000 or so employed in the slate industry in the northwest of Wales. Extracting slate from the mountainside, deep down in creating caverns on, you know, within the mountains themselves. The slate was being extracted. Now, obviously, we think of roof tiles, but it had so many uses, it spread around the world. Yes, and still does, for that matter. So, you know, Welsh slate provided a roof over the Industrial Revolution in the UK to begin with. So, you know, Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds, Sheffield, look at the industrial buildings, the terraced houses in those cities. They all have a roof of Welsh slates. So that's where it initially found its market. Then was exported in huge quantities to Germany, for example. The Germans, by the 1850s, were taking about 40 or 50,000 tonnes of slate a year to cities like Hamburg. And then even further worldwide. So, you know, South America, South Africa, North America, Brazil, all of these countries took cargoes of Welsh slate and significant quantities of slate at that. But surely slate is, is available in all of those countries. Why the Welsh slate? Well, because Welsh slate was the best in the world, for one thing. And because, of course, there was a kudos attached to it. People knew that this was the best in the world. So if you were building a prestigious city building, say in Melbourne or Sydney or New Orleans or Washington, you wanted the best for that. And the best roofing was Welsh slate. So, you know, there's something here, not just about utilitarianism, but about the prestige of the material as well. It's had a worldwide effect. So at its peak, millions of tonnes... Accepted, though, that they were places of such hard labour and, and loss of life, become places to jump to enjoy yourself. Yeah. Yes. Is that all right with people? Yes, I, I, I think it is. 
you know, it's easy to be too sentimental, isn't it, about the past? Places of hard labour, certainly. A very tough life, yes. Loss of life, yes. But what were the alternatives in Llanberius of Lenefistiniog Bethesda in the 19th century? And at least living and working in this industry gave you a wage every four weeks and, you know, a scintillating community life in a place like Bethesda, Llanberius of Lenefistiniog, where there was a lot going on and people were attracted to that. So, you know, let's not be sentimental about the past. We need to be open-eyed and wide-eyed about what was going on then and how that bears comparison to people's values at that time. How important is it to keep the story of Slate alive, its, its heritage, its, its present, its future? Well, we've already spoken about exports of Slate worldwide. We've spoken about the huge impact on the landscape of these mines and quarries. Moves are afoot to submit a bid to UNESCO for world heritage status for the Slate industry and its communities and its towns. Um, that outline bid has already been received by UNESCO and how important would it be to have that status? Oh, it's, it's very, very important. Uh, obviously, there's an economic importance to it. You know, one hopes that more visitors will come and uh, enjoy what we have here and that more people will buy well Slate from the quarries, understanding its history. But there's more to it than that, I think. I, I think there's a subliminal importance to it all. The people of Bethesda, Plinifestiniog and Llanberis live in a historic landscape which is on par, we think, and at least equivalent to the pyramids, or the Taj Mahal. Now, achieving World Heritage designation for these sites and quarries is uh, putting them on par with those important well, existing heritage sites. It's showing, isn't it, how Slate has provided the bedrock in almost all senses for these communities for 250 years and more. It's demonstrating that importance. It's more than about a rock. It's about a community and a way of life and a way of living and a way of looking out at the world. Having left Llanberis, I headed up over the mountaintop through a pass down the other side because I'm heading to another mine site a little bit further west. This is the Dorothea complex. And as you walk into it, it's, it's tantalising the atmosphere that's here because I've lots of new shrub growth all around me, but I can see glimpses of walls there, slate walls over there from the original buildings and then stunningly on my on the other side there's this massive hole in the ground where the slate would have been quarried out and it's now filled with water but it's the colors you've got this muted blue grayness in the sheer walls at the far side of well I suppose it is a lake now but then this blue grayness reflected into the water and above that, you have, you know, hundreds of feet of slate waste, which looks so unstable, yet it can't be because plants have found homes in it, trees are growing out of it, oak and ash and alder. The purpose of coming to Dorothea is to meet two people who have made many visits to this site. There are both photographers, Annie Williams and Ian Warwick. You're going to take me into the complex further in because with your eyes we can see, in a way, the story of abandonment but in some ways, I think, something very precious as well yes. because you've photographed. Yes, as you said earlier, these are remains but they're remains of living people's work and as we go into the complex and see the buildings the atmosphere in there is absolutely amazing. You can almost hear 
people, the ghosts of the past in there, especially when the wind is blowing and the weather's a bit dull. (laughs) And we're also drawn as photographers to the location because there's an intriguing mixture of residential, domestic and industrial architecture because where we're going to take you next was actually originally a hotel and then became, on this location, which is amazing, isn't it, and then became the manager's residence and then just became part of the quarry. So it's got a lot of interest from a photographer's point of view. Well, you know the place so well, so you lead the way? Yes. Along the side of this pool, this former quarry now filled with water you can see just how overgrown it all is and uh, how nature is slowly encroaching and taking over what was an industrial site people will be able to see these images because we can put them on the open country website they can see that force of nature Is it reclaiming, Annie? Yes, I think it is. And it's interesting because we've been doing this project for six or seven years now. And we do keep coming back here. We have been to lots of other locations, but I think this is our favourite, which is why we wanted you to see it today so that we could share it with you. But we keep coming back. But in that time, we've seen enormous changes. And just looking at it now, this time of the year, where you have all of that lush green growth, in another five or ten years, there'll be very little, I think, left because we really have seen a huge deterioration in the building as we've been doing this project. I've been drawn to dereliction for a very long time, since I was a child and lived near bomb sites in London. And these were adventure playgrounds and you could actually explore old houses which were much bigger than the ones you lived in with their staircases hanging off, etc. But it was a place of mystery and also excitement. And also there's a sort of forbidden thing about it which I take from all those years ago. Now I still get the same sense of excitement and mystery when I go into these places. And to show the, the growth of nature actually blending in and eventually covering these old places is a way of showing a sort of development, how a site will develop when it's not being used anymore. The dereliction. This, what was a hotel, you say, is a classic example of that because gaping holes where windows would have been three, maybe possibly four storeys high, 40 or 50 rooms, I think, at some point. And here it is trying to fend off the growth of trees from all round it and in it, and yet still strong. Yes, yep. absolutely. But I think sad. it will take a long, long time for nature to actually flatten this site. Mm. There'll always be things here, like the old Mayan temples and so on in the jungle. It's going to endure some of it. But as you can see, wooden lintels, they're going to go. Lots of it's going to come crashing down. But there are some very strong buildings on this site made out of slate and made very well and I think they will endure under a coat of nature It's such an enduring story slate, yes, isn't it? Yes. Of man and hard labour and a stone that spread around the world you look at, you know came from quarries like this, yes. you know it was hewn by the hand of man mm. over, what, 200 years that is a really precious story. But when we come and look at the landscape now, I see the scars. What I feel you're doing is seeing the whole story. 
Yes, I think if you live here, Slate is so much part of our life. It's in the landscape, it's in memory and it's in the communities that we live in. And our attempt was to show respect for everything that goes into that, the hard labour of the quarry workers, the women who supported the men in their labours. And all of that is imprinted so strongly on this landscape. And I think all we wanted to do was to express that in some way, and our photographs were an attempt to do that.